Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for listening. Uh, Make sure to check out our website, apologetics.org. Uh, and check out the first two parts of this series, Gospel Apologetics. Uh, we're going to be starting part three today, and it's going to be awesome. So as for our host, Dr. Woodward, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. I feel like the the gospel theme is so exciting. It's, uh, it's not just good news. It's great news. No, it's better than that. It's spectacular news. It's all good news. So, so, so to, to see the inherent apologetic side, that is the evidence, the reasons, the, if you will, proof of the truth of Christianity that is intertwined throughout the gospel points, I think is just amazing. And it's uh, it's overdue that we got to this, and I'm excited to jump into uh, point two. Yes, I, I agree 100%. And like, you can't live without the gospel, and when you live with it, you can't know enough about it. Amen. So let me just ask, have you heard of, and, and this is a book that I was made aware of just oh, probably in the last two or three years, a friend up in the Atlanta area, Bill McMillan, a dear friend of our ministry, C.S. Lewis Society, pointed me to the Ragamuffin Gospel, and it's by Brennan Manning. Uh, I'm looking at it, we're holding it in my hand, forward by Michael W. Smith, testimony by Rich Mullins. But uh, it's an amazing book, because the grace of God is just piercing through, like beams of laser light just coming out from every page of this book. So... Um, I think uh, w- one of the things I might do a little bit later when we get to our last point of this series, and we're talking about grace, I might just bring in a little commentary and give you uh, maybe five reasons why I love this book, and then one one little uh, tweak I might might have made if I were uh, Brendan Manning, but he's with the Lord now, but before he passed, he gave us a very fascinating tour of the truth of God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's spectacular, furious, you know, awesome love, that uh, comes at us with uh, a, a mighty force every day. It's really true that uh, the gospel is one of the most uh, incredible mysteries, but it's, it may seem incredible, but it is heavily credible because all the evidence points to it. So I just thought I'd mention the amazing ragamuffin gospel. I don't know if you've heard of the book, but it's fascinating. I, I have heard the name, but I haven't read it. Yeah. Well, you and I, you and I are ragamuffins, so we need a ragamuffin gospel. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, are we ready? Yeah, we're ready to go. Okay, let me plunge in right right, uh, at the start by saying that we have uploaded Clay Jones' video to our apologetics.org homepage, and we, matter of fact, we just bumped it to the the upper tier, the featured videos, because when I heard Clay Jones at a conference, it was a Biola on the road, uh, Biola University is known for their outstanding A-plus apologetics teaching, uh, they have J.P. Moreland um, and about 16 other major apologists on their faculty. And when Clay Jones came, I wasn't really familiar with his work, and they featured him as the last speaker on their Friday night. This is an auditorium that held 5,000 people at a huge mega church in, just north of Miami, Florida. And when we uh, listened to him, 
and, and on the amazing topic of why God allows evil. Now get this, an apologetics talk that deals with the, the dark underside of humanity, the evil side, <clears throat> and how God triumphs over it and, and reveals so much through it. And so the God's reason for allowing evil, and we're dealing with that kind of, kind of that darker theme today, by Clay Jones, we were staggered, we were shocked. And as, as he finished, it was such an amazing talk, and the one we have on our website is virtually the same talk given at another church. But anyway, when Clay Jones finished the talk, every single person leaped to his or her feet, and we gave him a standing ovation, went on well over wow. a minute. Yeah, it was such an impactful presentation. And he's written a book. I think it came out just a couple of years ago. You can find it on, of course, all your internet sources for book purchases. But Clay, in the normal spelling of Clay, Clay Jones, is the author of this book that parallels this talk. But I just encourage everybody to take it. It's about, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes uh, once he gets into it. Right, right at the beginning, he's into it. And you will never uh, hear a better talk on the the dark side, you know, and we, we always think of, uh, you know, Darth Vader brought over to the dark side. Well, we're all a little bit of a Darth Vader situation in that we've been uh, seduced uh, through our inheritance, uh, tending, tending away from God, and God in his grace plunges down into our situation, grabs a hold of us, as it were, and, and, and is hauling us up, and if we will uh, uh, say yes, Lord, and trust, and and turn the the control of our lives over to Him in true faith and repentance. He forgives us, and that's the great news. That's the gospel news. That's the spectacular news that Clay Jones uh, is bringing out in this talk. So I thought I'd do do that little commercial for what we've just posted, and I bumped to the first tier at apologetics.org. Now, I think it might be a good idea. Would you not agree? Um, my dear brother Nick, to review these seven points, just just tick through them, you know, in a matter of like thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great idea to recap. Okay, let's just let's just walk walk down through what we mean by gospel apologetics, and and really, we're saying that the good news of Christ is inherently attractive and convincing, or at least uh, persuasion uh, is coming out of it. There's a persuasive effect. There's persuasion built in to the very points because they ring true to our experience. Let me say that again. The gospel rings true to what we know down deep is the way we are and also the way that the God of the universe, the God of reality, the God of truth, the God of love, the God of righteousness, it just rings true to the way we um, imagine, if you will, and God uses our imagination. Well, God goes beyond our imagination, but he lines up with our sense of right and wrong, our sense of the amazing going beyond what we deserve and giving us what we don't deserve in the forgiveness and love and eternal life in Christ. So here are the seven points. Number one, moral betrayal, we messed up. We betrayed the source of morality and goodness and love, by turning our backs, you know, not just once or twice in our life, but literally we struggle with this daily. It's the cancer that everybody is inflicted with and infected with. And so God knows that he must judge, so judgment must follow. That's point two. 
We're going to be talking a little bit about that today, especially from Scripture, and but uh, also talking about it from experience and some of the things that have happened in American culture. Even this summer, we have a sense of justice. You know, those who flaunt the, the righteousness that is there above us, that hovers transcendently, uh, literally above the universe, those who flaunt that goodness and righteousness must be held accountable. So judgment follows. But three, the good news is that God long ago, out to two, 3,000 years, let me just say that, 3,000 years ago in the writings of David, Psalm 22, for example, in the writings of Moses, that's 3,400 and some years ago, the writings of Moses, uh, when he was uh, presenting the truths of Christ during the Exodus, and the wanderings, and then, of course, getting ready under Joshua um, to enter um, the Promised Land. So those writings of Moses, the writings of, of David, uh, are then presaging the writings of Isaiah and, and Zechariah, who came 700 years and then 400, actually 510 years before Christ. So going back 2,500 to four, almost 4,000 years ago, if you go back to the time of Abraham, God has been dropping, more than hints, he's been dropping good news messages into Scripture of a, of a rescuer, of a vindicator, of a prince who would literally lay his life down for us. Those prophetic Scriptures are powerful. So the Scriptures of the solution are shocking and haunting. Number four, the life of Christ. When Christ arrives on the scene 2,000 years ago, his life was compelling with its morality, teaching, miracles, and much more. But the life of Christ has the ring of truth to it and a, a ring of God penetrating humanity uh, to it as well. Point five, the claims of Christ are ultra-shocking. And this is where we're going to talk about, you know, the Lord liar lunatic, uh, the, one of the great arguments that was uh, propounded earlier by a guy named Anselm in the 11th century, but literally brought to its modern form through the great British authors, G.K. Chesterton, of course, our own C.S. Lewis. So the claims of Christ really present us with a dilemma. Was he a crazy man? Was Christ a, literally a lunatic, ready for the psych ward to be committed to a mental hospital? Or was he a liar, one of the worst liars of all time? Or was he the Lord of all? Was he God become man? Because he, just a nice teacher is not an option. That option is not left open to us. So, that, again, point five, claims of Christ are ultra-shocking. Point six is the resurrection, not only prediction of Christ, but the eyewitness event, which is even recorded in 1 Corinthians. That's what I love about the book of 1 Corinthians. I love maybe 18 things about 1 Corinthians, but at the top of my list is the list of eyewitnesses that was recorded probably as early as 34 or 35 A.D., which everybody was, as it were, memorizing that list, and so you talk about the historicity, the historical truthfulness of Christianity. It explodes in chapter 15, right there in the opening seven verses, where the gospel of Christ is a literary, uh, it's a witness list. It's like something you would submit in front of a judge before a trial was held. So that's amazing and very encouraging. So again, the resurrection predictions, and then finally the grace call, the call of God's love, that tugs at our heart at the deepest level is really kind of the, almost the big story of all. So, but embedded at the uh, core of this big story is the problem. Be before you bring out the solution, you have to identify the problem, the malaise, you know, the, 
the infection. And that's where Scripture puts its finger on it very clearly, you know, as early as Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve did what was forbidden and uh, led into a suspicion that God was keeping them from all the blessings that they should have had, that God was trying to, as it were, exclude them, they, they bit into the fruit, literally and metaphorically. They bit into the lie of Satan and were seduced. And we've all been, as it were, seduced. If I can just say that there is a four-point outline here that we actually uh, have used in our DNA model. Now, um, you're familiar with, I think, and Nick, you, you and your wife have been with me in so many events. I think you've seen me do at least one or two demos of our DNA model, have you not? Oh, yeah, yeah, I own one, and then, of course, you have that big giant one. The giant one that's about 11 feet long. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and then we and then we And then we have our 25-foot model of a protein. That's pretty cool, too, isn't it? With a, mm. with a blobby nerve, nerve amino acids. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. I think... Yeah, I think we ought to we ought to do another demo of that. We should just put all of our models, including our histone, our four foot tall histone model, the DNA wrapped around it. We need to put it on display up at Trinity College and have all the students just gather around, and we'll do another demo and upload that to our website. We'll we'll put that as our as our uh, fall. We'll try to finish that here by Christmas time and make that a Christmas present on our website. But anyway, our DNA model. If I could just go ahead and say that this was developed as part of the C.S. Lewis Society's um, sidebar. It's like a sidebar to our main ministry. And we launched our own website. <clears throat> and the website is dnaandbeyond.org. Not to be confused with Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Okay, so this <laughs> is... <laughs> thank you for that. So DNA and Beyond, spell out the word and, dnaandbeyond.org. And uh, right there, embedded in the middle of the webpage, you'll see a demo, and that demo is done uh, a young man who was one of my top students uh, about three years ago, Griffin Foxworth, does a brilliant job, just a fantastic uh, job of de- doing a two-minute, and I think two minutes and 15 seconds demo of the model. And uh, there's even a bit of music embedded at the end where uh, we teach a kind of a rap song uh, that can uh, symbolize and capture the, the elements of DNA. But the letters A, T, C, G, any high school biology student has to memorize those. A, T, C, G. So um, the, the idea uh, of A going with T and C going with G, those always pair up, is interesting. But you can think of the A, T, C, G as representing the very moral issue that we're dealing with. Now, people say, what? What does DNA have to do with morality? Well, not, nothing inherently, but we've used the A and the T and the C and the G to represent the problem and the solution. So A and T are Adam, A stands for Adam, and T stands for temptation. Whoa! Okay, so Adam created perfect. You know, he was on a, on a proper, good, encouraging trajectory. He was moving up and developing his wonderful, perfect relationship with God. They were getting better and better acquainted. Uh, Eve was added into the equation, so Adam and Eve were in perfect fellowship with the Father. There was no brokenness. There was no sin and rebellion and shame and judgment coming. And then all of a sudden, Adam, led by Eve, of course, uh, seduced by Satan, were led into tea, temptation. 
So A and T. Adam, perfect created for fellowship, but T came in threatened, and in this case, seduced in, uh, in a kind of a dastardly successful way, seduced Adam and Eve to sin. And that led to the downward spiral. But that's not the end. A and T, Adam and temptation, lead to C and G, which is Christ, the second Adam, who died for us, bled and rose again after he died, and then G, grace. So C and G, Christ and grace, is the solution for A and T, Adam with temptation. So I hope that helps. I don't know if that uh, is maybe a kind of an interesting point for some listening today who enjoy and love uh, genetics and DNA. And now you can use the ATCG to share the good news. The downward, as it were, fall of Adam and all of us into a sinful state, but then the upward tug of Jesus, his hand reaching down as we're, as it were, sinking into the, into the high waves of the sea of our own sin. And, G- and Jesus, Christ, in his grace, G, grace, reaches down and snatches us up. Well, that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell, but it all begins with the problem of sin and judgment. Now, it's interesting that when Paul went to the great city of Athens and he attended this um, gathering, the Areopagus, the Mars Hill gathering of scholars, professors, philosophers uh, of his day, there were two kinds of philosophers, and this is smack dab in the middle of of Acts 17. It's uh, right there where Paul was observing many, many altars that were built to various gods, and one of the altars was to the unknown god. And this unknown god was to just basically cover themselves for any god that they didn't know about and would be offended if he or she or it did not have a, an altar to 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 uh, worship and, and love them. So this unknown god Paul uses as this um, redemptive bridge, this analogy. He says the unknown god, the one that you have built this altar to, is now I'm the one I'm going to make known, and that is the god who made heaven and earth. And obviously ultra god he's the super god he's the uber god if you use the german word Mm -hmm. and this god that really exists is transcendent and yet he is holy and righteous so he deals with humanity he's not far from us paul says it's an amazing speech it's just literally about 10 verses long but it's one of the most important speeches or presentations of the good news in the entire bible right there and he's speaking to intellectuals I mean, our ministry, C.S. Lewis Society, was established at Princeton University as a witness to that great Ivy League school. And the intellectual world is where a lot of the problem is coming today of attacks on the credibility of Christianity. And so Paul marches right in or walks right in to the lion's den of, you could say, this is like the Harvard University of the ancient world. So I sometimes say, you know, uh, let me tell you, when Paul went to Harvard, and they said, wait, Harvard was established in the 1600s. I said, well, this is the Harvard of, of Paul's day. So what did he say to these Harvard uh, Nobel laureates, if you will? He says, God who made the universe and who made each one of us, including you, we are his offspring. It's interesting. In our very nature, our human nature, we still reflect enough of God's nature that God, that Paul dares to call us, all of us, offspring of God. Now, we're not spiritually children of God. Jesus makes that clear in what he says in, to the, um, his opponents in John chapter 8. But, but in terms of our very nature, in terms of, of the sensing of right and wrong, and the sensing of our failure, 
Uh, Paul addresses that. Now, the Stoic philosophers and the, uh, the other philosophers who were there, the Epicureans, uh, were basically debating how this God concept works. And the Epicureans, gods, uh, Epicureans were saying gods are flitting around in their own gymnasium. They have no contact with us if they exist. And when you die, that's it. There's no judgment. Paul was saying to all of them, now the Stoics had more of a moral, like a God is, is everywhere, but we don't know him very well, but he's the basis of all morality. So they had a more advanced, a little bit more Christian idea of God, but not much more. So Paul comes in and basically shatters both of their theological understandings by saying, the God who made us is seeking you to seek him. You are not far from him. In other words, you're just one step away from him. And the judgment that is coming is going to be executed by Jesus. And then he says in his judgment phase, the very Jesus I'm referring to is the one that, that was raised from the dead. God provided evidence. He literally pointed out the one who would be the judgment executor by raising him from the dead. And when Paul was speaking this way, he was tying Jesus' resurrection, which is great news, but he was tying it in with the judgment phase of what God would do at the end of the world's history, the great white throne, if you will, mentioned in chapter 20 of Revelation. So Paul is very boldly bringing in the judgment reality, which is point two of our gospel apologetic series. Judgment must follow. Now, um, I mean, we've all heard of cases that were adjudicated where somebody was wrongly accused. There was a man here in Florida just released after 30 years in prison because DNA showed that he had not committed, that he was not involved in this murder. And so he was released. Very interesting case. And, and, he's, and he apparently he might be a Christ follower from what I've read because he did not have any blast against the, the state or the government. He was rather almost humble as he uh, was released. But then there are others who probably, oh, like O.J. Simpson, who probably did commit the murder. I hope I'm not getting myself in some kind of legal jeopardy by mentioning this, but it's been... <laughs> You know, hundreds of people in radio and TV programs have discussed the likelihood that O.J. probably did commit that atrocious set of murders. And I, and I remember that uh, one of the people involved in that trial uh, had said, when the, when the not guilty verdict was brought down, O.J. will have his judgment eventually. And to me, that is like, of all time, of any comment I've ever heard, that like stands as a reminder that whatever we, any of us, may get away with, you know, in terms of civil judgment or even uh, judgment in, in the minds of our colleagues and friends, ultimately Jesus is the judge, but he will not judge us if we accept the pardon. A pardon is offered in the person of Christ. He died for our sins and rose again, but we must accept the pardon. A pardon is not effective unless it is accepted. And so I'm, my prayer is that each of us would accept or would have accepted or will accept today that wonderful, glorious pardon, the grace pardon, purchased through the blood of Christ on the cross, dying in our place. And he says, if you accept that pardon and take me as your Lord, follow me as, as your king, your president, then that will be the transformation point of your reality forever and ever. You will receive the gift of eternal life. 
And that is inherently, it is automatically, it's deeply, powerfully attractive. And that's why I think the gospel is ultimately the touchstone of apologetics. Amen. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He made that explicit, that he is the only way to the Father, and he is the only one who can save us from the wrath of God and the coming judgment of God. Uh, Be sure to check out our last two episodes on gospel apologetics, and make sure to check out apologetics.org. If you have any questions or comments, just send us an email at information at apologetics.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.